Um, when I was a kid, um, I asked a lot of questions. Anybody else ask a lot of questions? You know, one of my favorite shows growing up was Columbo. What was his famous line? One more question, you know. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, though, the, the question that was like perplexing, uh, that was out there, that was on our minds all the time, uh, was in the form of a commercial. And I, I want to give us an opportunity to see that. Anybody Mr. remember this? Colonel, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? Honey, you never made it without biting. Ask Mr. Owl. Mr. Owl, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? Let's find out. One, two, three, three. How many licks does you remember it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? I always wondered. May never know. I always wondered, you know, would it take more than three licks? You know, because you try to bite those things that break your teeth. But have you ever wanted to ask a question, but, but then you kind of felt like the minority, the, the only person in the class or the only person in the room who didn't know the answer? And so you were embarrassed to do that. I remember those times in school that the teacher would be like giving a lesson and I'd be sitting there and everybody else in the class would be nodding like, yeah, I get it, I get it. And I'm going there like, ah, you know, but I'm afraid to ask a question. So, so what we thought we would do over the next couple of weeks is we, we thought we'd tackle some of those questions. So those questions that, um, as Christians, questions as believers that, that are in our minds, but maybe we don't have all the answers to, but, but also uh, maybe we're afraid to ask or afraid to say, I don't know the answer to this question of my faith. So uh, next couple of weeks, we're going to tackle those tough questions and see where that might lead us. Uh, when I was um, uh, in seminary, I was uh, serving a couple little churches in, in the rural areas of North Carolina. And the 19-year-old son of some friends of ours was tragically killed in an automobile accident. And I recall uh, being there with a the family as people were coming in and, and uh, coming and just to share their condolences and things. But I was kind of taken aback by some of the questions that I heard that they were basically framing to our friends, like, why didn't God save your son? Or... Do you think God just needs another angel in heaven and that's why, you know, he's there? Or why did God choose to take such a young man at the age of 19 years? I mean, those are the kinds of questions that are perplexing, aren't they? And I know people are, are good-natured. I know people uh, do have a heart, but sometimes we just don't know what we're saying, do we? But I've thought about this, and I thought about really the, the tough question that we need to tackle this very first Sunday as we deal in this series is, why does God allow bad things to happen to me? Now notice I didn't say, why does God allow bad things to happen to you? But why does God allow bad things to happen to me? And I think that's the struggle uh, that we find ourselves. So if we kind of throw that up there as the question of the day, why does God allow bad things to happen to me? I think there's a wrestling match that's going on because when we, when we find ourselves asking that question, I think there's really a couple of trains of thought that are going around circling in our minds that we're struggling with trying to answer that question, why does God allow bad things happen to me? The first one I think that is in our mind is because all the bad in the world, then there can't be a God. There are some people who believe that, that because the world is filled with so much sin, because the world is filled with so much evil and destruction and devastation, there are people who say there's no way in the world that there can be a God because all of this is happening, and they struggle with that. Here's the other train of thought that I think that a lot of us struggle with when we're trying to answer that question, why would God allow bad things to happen to me? We, we struggle with, if there is a God, 
then God just can't be as all-powerful and loving as we think he is. That if God was all-powerful and all-loving, then God certainly wouldn't allow this stuff to happen to me. You know, we kind of struggle with, is there really a God and does God exist because of these things that are happening? Or we, we struggle with, but if God does exist, then does God really have the power, the power to stop it? And that's where we, where we find ourselves. Most of us, I think, take our modern objections to this whole idea of suffering and bad things happening because we're kind of geared to the fact that most of us are, are loving people. Most of us are compassionate people. And I, I rarely meet anybody who says to me that they want to see people suffer. I rarely meet those kind of people. But I think in most of our minds, we rationally say to ourselves that we really believe that, that people should not suffer. We believe that people should not be bullied. We believe that people should have everything that they need and desire in life. We believe that people should not die of hunger. We believe that people shouldn't have to live homeless. We believe that there should never be children without parents. These are the kinds of things that I think good-natured people that we want to believe. And we throw those beliefs that are out there. But when we start to really look at all the things that are going on out there, it really challenges most of us in the perspective of, is God really as good as we think God is? And does God really exist? And is God as powerful as what we read in the scriptures? Depending on the event, there's countless questions that, that unfold in that. I mean, let's look at the rash of shootings that have been going on recently in houses of worship, in synagogues, in churches, in mosques. And we start to say, well, these are places where people gather to worship God, and, and how could God allow those shootings and innocent people to be killed in the midst of that? So that's one of the struggles that we see that's kind of current day. But I want us to think back a little bit, something a little bit differently. In 2004... There was a, a huge tsunami that, that basically killed more than 250,000 people over in the Indian Ocean. In that area around there, areas around there. And the argument goes something like this. If God is God, then God can't be good. And if God is good, then God can't be God. Because the critics will say, you Christians can't have it both ways, especially after some kind of catastrophe where pain and suffering and hurt come into play. So there's no reason why, as Christians, we struggle with these kinds of questions. And there's no reason why not that non-believers struggle with these kinds of questions. And they look to us as Christians for the answers. And I believe that people are seeking, people are seeking and searching for the answers to these perplexing questions. Just because you can't see God doesn't mean there isn't a God. Just because you can't imagine a good reason why God might allow something uh, to happen doesn't mean that there isn't a God. So let me kind of put it into a, an example. Um, how many of you know what a noceum is? Yeah? yeah? If you ever walked along the beach, if you've ever gone camping, you know what a noceum is. So, so I think we might, we might have an image that, that might come up here. Do you see him? You don't see him? I mean, he's right there. Well, let's, let's see if we can maybe get a little closer look. There, there, you see him right there? So that, that's, that's a noceum that's there. So here's the example I want you to use. Um, imagine you're camping, and you put up your tent, and you go inside of your tent, and you're just convinced there's a big brown bear inside of your pup tent. And you go in there, and there's no brown bear in there. Now, logic would tell us that there probably isn't a brown bear inside of your pup tent, right? Right? 
Okay. So now, let's say that you go in your tent and you can't see a no see but you feel it. Does that mean because your brain can't comprehend because it can't see it, it can't rationally work out where it is, does that disprove that the no see is in your tent? No, it doesn't disprove that because it is there because you can't see it. Now, many assume that if there's good reasons for the existing of suffering and bad, uh, that we would be able to just figure it out in our minds. We're smart people. And if I can figure it out in my mind, then I know the difference between good and bad. But, but think about it. Is it possible that suffering and bad things just might have a purposeful place in our life? Is it possible that something good can come out of that which we deem to be bad? And that's kind of where I want us to focus today as we look at this. I want you to pause for a second. I want you to think about a time in your life when you had something occur that wasn't something you asked for, that you saw it as kind of like blindsided you out from left field, something that wasn't easy for you to deal with, something that just knocked the wind out of your sail. And I want you to think about that kind of situation. And now I want you to think about how that changed your life. How that changed your life when that happened. You know, think about it. You know, we go through an illness, and through that illness, somehow we never asked for that cancer, we never asked for that illness, but through that illness, something happens to us. We draw closer to God, we draw closer to our spouse, we, we, we draw closer in our faith, we begin to see a greater purpose in our life. Let's say that you've had financial collapse in your life. Now you can just maybe just run away and say, I'm not gonna deal with that anymore. But for some of us, when that happens, maybe, maybe what we see is we see a different perspective on stewardship. Maybe we begin to not see the things that we have become our God anymore. And so therefore, we see a new life that comes. So I, I'm willing to guess that all of us in this room have probably had a situation in our life where something like that has happened. Now, in my journey as a pastor, I come across people all the time um, who have had what I would just call um, spirit-breaking circumstances in their life. Spirit-breaking. And if a spirit-breaking means that, that it just destroys who you are, some of you in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and sometimes I, I will have a sermon where I will talk about how an example or something or a story in the Bible where, where someone had something bad happen to them and out of that situation, something good came. We can see that all throughout Scripture. Some of us can be testaments to that um, in our life it's, it, itself. But yet, it, it's, it's also those same individuals who will come to me and who will say, Pastor, for every example that you give where something good came out of that, I can think of five or six or seven or eight other events where nothing good came out of it. And when I'm thinking about that, I remember a, a, a couple that was in one of the churches that I pastored. She had seven late-term miscarriages. I'm talking about third-term miscarriages, seven of them. They grieved and grieved and grieved about starting a family. And so she would hear me talk about how, how God would, would, would somehow transform a life out of something bad that would happen. And she would say, you know, logically I can follow what you're saying, but in my heart, my heart still aches, Pastor. 
In my heart, I don't understand the validity of that. So I'm not sure that I can do that. And, and when are we gonna start seeing how we, we worship a God who, who, um, who basically doesn't get off the hook, so to speak, when these bad things happen to people like us? Let's look at that for a second. A God who we let off the hook. Do we let God off the hook? Think about that for a second. What if the Christian God came to earth and deliberately, deliberately put himself on the hook for our human suffering? What if God rationally said, I'm going to suffer so that I know and others will know not only what that magnitude of suffering is in life, but that people who will come to me will know that I understand. What if God put God's self into that? And we believe, I and mean, we just celebrated that through Holy Week, through the resurrection of Jesus. God knows the hurt through Jesus. God knows the abandonment. God knows the devastation. God knows all those kinds of things that you and I struggle with in life. God is aware of all of that. And Christianity may not provide the reason for each of, of us in our pain, but it, but it does provide the resources that actually free us from our pain. Christianity provides for us the foundation of the things that we can see. Now, Christianity alone, uh, among all world religions, claims that God became uniquely and fully human in Jesus Christ, and therefore God knows firsthand despair, rejection, loneliness, poverty, bereavement, torture. God knows about imprisonment. On the cross, Jesus went beyond the worst human suffering ever experienced. You and I can never imagine, we cannot imagine the human suffering that Jesus partook with. But yet what we find out is, is that, that his knowledge and power exceeds our understanding. We know also in his death that God suffers in love, and, and, and in death God suffers with the fact of identifying with the abandoned and the God forsaken. When Jesus spoke those words from the cross of Psalm 22, the, the, psalm, the words of dereliction, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know God understands, and we know God is there. Scripture says that, that Jesus came to the cross for a rescue mission and knew that the only way to reconcile our badness, so to speak, was through his goodness. And that on the cross, Jesus became our sin, and Jesus defeated it, and God made all things good. So again, if we ask the question, why, why would a, a good God allow bad things to, to uh, happen, and, and why would a good God allow suffering to continue, maybe if we look at the cross of Jesus, maybe we still don't know what the answer is. But what we do know is the answers to these questions. We know that, that uh, basically that, that it can't be that God doesn't love us, it can't be that, that God is indifferent or God is detached or, or God doesn't care. It can't be any of those things. What it says to us is that God takes the misery and the suffering so seriously that he was willing to become a human being and experience it himself. And that is what happened on the cross. So if we embrace Christian teaching that Jesus is God, if we embrace the teaching that he went to the cross, then we have to keep the consolation and strength to know that we can face the brutal realities of everything that comes to us in our life. And that we can hang on that. And that is truth, that even in our worst sufferings, that God walks with us 
and God brings us the strength. The Apostle Paul's life was, um, was filled with probably a great tragedy. If you, if you read about Paul's life, Paul's life was, was not one that any of us would want to have. I mean, we might look up to Paul and say, what a great apostle and, and what a great champion of the faith, but, but his life was not anything at all what any of us would want. And Paul constantly, as the scriptures tell us, is that his life was constantly weaving in and out of these difficult situations, these life situations. He was even proclaiming the message of hope of Jesus in the same community where they killed him, where they killed Jesus. And you can imagine the pushback that he had. When he found himself in these desolate places, when, when Paul found himself in these moments where, where he wondered about his own physical health and safety and his own sanity and, and spiritual health and all of those things, Paul began to understand and proclaim an even, greater, an even greater message. But Paul said in the midst of those unanswerable questions, there still is a greater truth. And he had to dig deep and he had to discover and rediscover the courage and, and the new courage and the existing courage and the strength and the new strength and all the things that came with that to believe and to live, live and to uh, have life into God's goodness. But he knew that God's goodness could never be overcome. Paul knew that no matter what happened to him in his life, no matter what was happening as, as the church was trying to be birthed there in that first century, Paul knew right then and there at that moment that nothing, nothing at all could overpower the goodness of God. He wrote these words in Romans 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So Paul is saying that regardless of what the suffering is in you, something greater can come and will come. But we hope for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently. So if you're in a struggle, sometimes we're so easy, eager to just get out of the struggle. Don't deny yourself what God can do in your life as you are in a struggle. And we know that in all good things that God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Listen to those words. Understand the magnitude of what Paul is saying. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? So now he's saying, what, what, in whom, and what, what can separate us? Who can separate us? Trouble? Are you ever in trouble? That can't separate you from the love of Christ. Hardship? Define what that hardship is. That can't separate. Persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or even death, sword. All those things that we fear, Paul says, none of that can separate us from the love of Christ. It's written, for sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. <clears throat> Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. I think he's about covered it all, right? Nothing, are you getting it yet, he says. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the magnitude of what Paul's words are telling us is the strength to uphold and to believe. 
God uses suffering and the things that we deem to be so bad in our lives, God uses those instances to build up our Christian character. God uses those events to conform us more like Christ. Paul's emphasis is that the promise is that God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose and through every difficult situation. But what Paul doesn't say is that all of that transpires in this life. God works for the good may not be in this life, but God working for the good may be in our eternal life. So therefore, we might have trials, we might have difficulties in this life, we might have things that happen to us in this life that we may not see the goodness that comes until we get to eternal life. And Jesus reminds us of the strength of staying connected with the Father. Let me get personal for a second. I know that there are many of you in this room who, who are going through challenges right now. There's emotional challenges. There are family challenges. That there are death in your family that you're dealing with. There's illnesses. There's all of these things that are coming. You're struggling financially. What do you do when, when these things are just pulling you under? Where do you go? What do you do? How do you find the strength to overcome this? There's a couple of things I just want to share with you that are tools that will help you to move through this. So what do you do when all this is happening? The first thing is, remember that God sees what you're going through. We're convinced sometimes that God has no idea what I'm going through. You ever talk to that person? Well, nobody knows what I'm going through. God does. That's the starting point. When trouble comes, we start kind of a litany of things like, God, you don't know that the mortgage is due in three days and I have no money. God, you don't know what's happening to me now that this relationship is broken. God, you don't know um, how hard it is to try to find a new job. God, you don't know what it's like to take a bad marriage and, and, and try to fix it again. God, you don't know and you don't understand, God, any of these things. You don't understand how scared I am since I found out that I have cancer. God, you don't know. Trust me, God does know. God's aware of all these things. Here's another one. Regardless of the cause of your problem, God can use it to change your life. God can and will use it to change your life. Too, too often, we, we spend all of our time um, asking the why question. Why is this happening? Why me? Why this? Why, 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 why? Well, you know what? I, I can't give you an answer to all the why questions. I can't give you an answer to all the whys that happen. Sometimes we bring it upon ourselves. Sometimes we're, we're innocent bystanders and, and we're harmed by that. Sometimes it's a part of our genetic heredity. Sometimes it's, it's part of being in a world that's filled with sin. I don't have all the answers and all the reasons. Neither do you, but God does. But regardless of what's happening in our life, God's promise is to use that which is not good for a greater good and outcome for us in our life. Here's another one. God can change the situation. God can change the situation. God can heal an illness. God can turn a bad marriage good again. God can reverse bankruptcy. God can do anything. God can change the situation. Well, if okay, if that's, if that's it, then God can do all that. Then why doesn't God do all that? Well, sometimes we have to remember that God isn't interested in just fixing our problems for us. God is actually more interested in changing us 
than changing the situation we might be in. So maybe where we need to look, instead of calling out to God to, to change the situation I'm in or, or to take away the problem that I'm having, maybe our first question is, God, what is it that you're teaching me through this? Reveal to me, God, something new that can come. God is much interested in you than God is in your problem. And God wants to transform you. God is more interested in your character. God is more interested in building you up. God is more interested, even when we can't see. Someone once told me one time that maybe we should imagine um, that God is building a great tapestry. And in building that tapestry, there's good things that happen and there's bad things that happen. But if you ever looked at a tapestry, a tapestry kind of has a couple of things that are going on. One side of the tapestry, on the back side, look at that. Isn't that kind of where we are with life sometimes? So if, if, if we have this tapestry of our life, we look at that and we're going like, wait a minute, where's the order in that? Where's the beauty in that? Where's the comfort in that? That looks like turmoil. That looks like all the bad stuff that I don't, that just looks like a, a life that is totally out of control. But you know, the thing about a tapestry is maybe we need to look at it from heaven's perspective. And heaven sees the tapestry from the other side. So from us, we see it this way, but from God's point of view, that's the same tapestry. Remember what it looked like on the back? Look at it on the front. God sees it more clearly. So we have to put our trust in that, folks. We have to put our trust into that. God will, will work in your life whether you cooperate with God or not. God wants to transform your life. God wants to build your character. God wants to lead you through the troublesome moments. God wants to give you a life that is filled with greater joy. But when those things happen, what we've got to do is we cannot move away from God, but we must draw closer, draw closer. If you've ever said, Jesus Christ, come into my life, then that's the starting point. You know, you've got to invite Christ into your life. And, and whenever we invite Christ into our life, what we realize is when those things that happen in our life that we can't understand, the things that are devastating, the things that are challenges, that when Christ is in our life, anything can be accomplished and nothing can separate us from the love of God. When you don't understand what's happening, remind yourself that ultimately God has a plan to love you. Ultimately, God has a plan to bring you peace. Pray that you become the center in God's life, that God becomes the center in your life, that it's a cohesive relationship that the two of you are together. Use the problems that God can direct you through that and that know that in all things, nothing can separate you from the love of God through Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen.